0: You're listening to the home of cool, irreverent, and entertaining talk right here on LA Talk Radio. You're listening to Answers for the Family with Alan Cardoza and Dr. Melody Fox right here on LA Talk Radio.
1: Welcome to another edition of Answers for the Family. I'm your host, Alan Cardoza, and with me is co-host extraordinaire, psychologist Dr. Melody Fox.
2: And each week we will bring you guests that can inspire, educate, and entertain while bringing options to raising the quality of life for the whole family.
1: And we will address issues such as locating a runaway teen, family crisis intervention, building self-esteem, dealing with addictions, and so much more.
2: With each of us having over 30 years experience working with families in crisis, we have been fortunate to meet and work with some of the top professionals in this field who are all working to make this world a better place for all of us.
1: And we will bring you some of these incredibly talented and caring people each week as we bring you Answers for the Family. Now today we're going to be talking about getting and keeping kids sober, healthy, and happy. Our guest today Jameson Monroe is the founder and CEO of Newport Academy. Now, Leonard Buchel, founder of Writers in Treatment, wrote, Jameson is the missing link that connects old-school recovery to the future of successful adolescent treatment. His presence in the recovery landscape is paramount to the evolution of the industry and imperative for mental health and addiction to become destigmatized by popular culture.
2: His story is key to the success of Newport Academy because of his own descent into alcohol and drug abuse as a teen. And while hiding behind that all-too-familiar happy family facade, Jameson was admitted to a number of treatment programs where he would remain sober for a handful of months before relapsing again.
1: And d- despite a supportive family, Jameson remained in this life threatening cycle until he was admitted to a treatment center that focused on personalized, comprehensive, and holistic treatment that allowed him to safely address his individual underlying issues while balancing an effective amount of family involvement.
2: Now beyond overseeing the vision of Newport Academy, Jamison is immersed in a multiple facets of the battle against addiction and its stigma and is recognized by his peers as a conduit between the past, present, and future of recovery. Now Jamison is exceedingly passionate about education and awareness and to that end serves on the board of directors for several nonprofits and some of the world's most progressive creative thinking projects such as Global Assessment Project, C4 Recovery Solutions, Los Angeles' Starting Block Founding Circle, Writers in Treatment and a Recovery Month planning partner for the Substance Abuse and Mental Health Services Administration.
1: Jameson is also uh, an executive producer of the critically acclaimed documentary Behind the Orange Curtain, a film about the prescription drug epidemic uh... and how it has affected our teens in southern california currently jameson can be seen on cnn hln cbs fox abc and many other media outlets where he regularly appears as an addiction and mental health correspondent jameson welcome to
0: answers for the family Thank you, Alan. Thank you, Melanie. It's a pleasure to be here.
2: Oh, it's great to have you here. You know, I, I really love Newport Academy and all you do with those teens over there. And having been honored to be part of that here and there over the years, it's been a real pleasure and an honor. And we're really pleasure it's really a pleasure to have you here back with us for Answers for the Family today to talk about Newport Academy and some of the success stories that you have. But I was curious, what, what personally brings you the mo- most joy today in working with that population?
0: Um, well, it's, first of all, back, it's a pleasure to have you out when you are able to come to Newport Academy because you just bring a wealth of knowledge to, to our team. Um, one of, one of the, to answer your question, the thing that gives me the most joy is just seeing that light come on with the teens but also within the family system Um, and then to see those families come back um, on occasion for our alumni gatherings um, either in the summer or in December and to see the kids doing well the families happy um, and smiling and uh, kids graduating high school going to college picking their major um, and the family just really being one cohesive unit whereas when they came to us in the beginning they were all just on their separate paths and and lost, frankly. Mm-hmm.
1: And, and Jamison, how has your own experience helped you to be able to work with these young people?
0: I, I think it's imperative. Um, I think that without it, I mean, without my own experience, I wouldn't be doing what I do today. That, that's for sure. Um, you know, I was one of these kids that was completely lost. Um, you know, I was raised um, in a household where where a lot of things were were taken for granted. I mean, I was I was given a wonderful education, a private school education, um, you know, and I was allowed to participate in a lot of extracurricular activities, sports and things like that. Um, but my family was not a cohesive unit. You know, my dad worked all the time. He was definitely would classify as a as a workaholic. Um, and so therefore my brother and I didn't really have that father figure growing up. Um, there was immense pressure put on my younger brother, who's two years younger than I. Um, my, my brother and I, um, by society, by the school system, and by our parents as well, just an immense pressure to, to make good grades, to do well in school, to, to do well in athletics, uh, and to perform um, at a very high level. You know, um, our society kind of preaches that you do well in in high school, you get into a good college, you get a good job, or you get a master's degree, and that's kind of the path that you go. And so I was I was thrust into this very competitive school environment. Um, and very early on, my freshman year of high school, I uh, discovered a drug called Adderall, um, which is, uh, as a lot of people know, very... Uh, prescribed to a lot of kids in one form or another of Adderall or Ritalin or, or some form of ADHD medication and whether I had HD, ADHD or not I, I went to a psychiatrist and was able to get a prescription for it and I uh, used it throughout my my education my high school and college education to uh, to cram and to study um, mm-hmm. on an as-needed basis mm-hmm. um, but then uh, you know it, it's it's amphetamine in a pill and we can talk more about that um, but then later on when someone offered me a, a Valium, which is, you know, another prescription medication, it was a lot easier for me to, to take that uh, that pill and then to do other things because I was already taking a prescription drug. It it, it decreased what we call the perceived harmfulness of prescription drugs for me. Mm-hmm. And uh, and we see a lot of that. I'm able to relate to a lot of kids that are in that situation um, that end up at Newport Academy as a result of a of, of prescription drug. Problem.
2: Right. Can you expand a little bit about what you mean about the perceived, I guess, balance? You're taking an amphetamine, but then you take a volume, and then how does it cancel each other out or work together or that perception?
0: Um, yes, for sure. So, yeah, I, I mentioned perception or, or perceived harmfulness. Um, it, it's really interesting. Well, I mean, let's start from the top is that right now the, the number one cause of death, um, you know, amongst teenagers and and many young adults, um, depending on which angle you look at it, but the number one cause of death, generally speaking, amongst teenagers and young adults is prescription drug overdoses, Mm -hmm.
3: uh,
0: which is very saddening, recently overtaking automobile fatalities. Um, And a big reason for that is the, in my opinion, the overprescription of pharmaceuticals, of prescription medications um, and the just the vast prevalence of them in our society um, our society looking for a quick fix um, society being told that if you're not happy and you know and if you're not if you're not happy and you're not feeling good then there must be something wrong with you and and here take this pill and get a quick fix um, and so we see a lot of parents you know wanting the best for their children right their kids not performing um, at a level in which uh, their counselors or teachers think that they could be, um, and so therefore they're referred to a professional um, who, who may see symptoms of, of ADHD, um, uh, Attention Deficit Hyperactivity Disorder, or just ADD, Attention Deficit Disorder, um, inability to focus during class, inability to to maintain focus, do homework, uh, punctuality, uh, different things like that, easily distracted um, within the classroom setting or when trying to do homework at schoolwork at home mm-hmm. and so a psychiatrist may put a kid on on some sort of ADHD or adD medication um, and a lot of these medications as you guys know are are amphetamines of sorts mm-hmm. um, they are similar to a methamphetamine that they have a very uh, speedy a very a, a high um, that is but these amphetamines are, are somewhat diluted down into a prescription pill form, um, and they work for kids that have ADHD. But um, the prescription or the, the percentage of kids in our society that actually have true ADHD versus the number one number of them that are diagnosed or given a prescription drug is far different, and there are far fewer mm-hmm. kids than, in my opinion, and from what I see from a lot of the data. Um, are far fewer kids that actually have it than actually get the prescription. And so once once a kid is exposed to, hey, if you have a problem, take a pill, then any other problem they may have in their life, um, you know, they're, they may look to take a pill in order to fix that. And so like you were saying though, is that um, the the amphetamines that, that that may be prescribed to kids for ADHD are are uppers in a way. They they increase your um, alertness. They wake you up, you know, similar to drinking a couple shots of espresso. Um, they're going to give you a lot of energy. Um, and then you may need something to calm down. And so um, you may take a, a quanidine or a valium or a vicodin or something that's going to, a central nervous system depressant that's mm-hmm. going to bring you down so that you may be able to relax or go to sleep. Mm-hmm. Um, and so we see the, the perceived harmfulness of so kids. Um, across the board, um, a majority of kids don't realize and admit that they don't see prescription drugs as uh, harmful, uh, let alone able to cause death because, you know, they come from a doctor. So they they can't can't hurt you. They can't be that bad for you, right?
2: Right. And I notice, like, I have kids that are in recovery or early recovery or transitional age youth that come in. And, you know, I hear that okay, I'm drinking alcohol, and I get really relaxed, and I want up. So they do a little meth or whatever to pep them up, and then they take a Oxycontin to bring them back down, and it's this whole cocktail of medications. And it all started with the alcohol to take their judgment off. It's like, oh, well, I could do this now. And they're trying to balance the highs and the lows, and it's almost all in one night, which just absolutely amazes me. They're still alive the next day to talk about it.
0: Yeah, exactly. I mean, I used to do a lot of the same thing. I mean, we would, we would, my friends and I, and we would, we would take Adderall or, and drink alcohol and do cocaine and take Valium or Xanax, and it's just uppers and downers. And you know, and in the in the 70s, I guess we had speedballs, um, uh-huh. and still do today. But these are more kind of mainstream speedballs, and the fact that you're mixing uppers and downers, and really, I mean, it's causing a lot of damage to. To your organs, to your internal mm-hmm. organs, um, but then also that's how we see death is where kids don't don't really know what they're taking, they don't know the balance act um, of what they're taking, and so they may take a little too many too too many downers, or the uppers may wear off, and the downers or the central nervous system depressants like an oxycontin or valiums mm-hmm. or xanax, um, they may take too many of those, and then their lungs start working or their heart stop working, or their heart stops working, and 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 they go into a coma or they have a seizure or something like that. And, and that's where we're seeing the the really detrimental effects of these prescription drugs.
1: And, and Jameson, you mentioned a little bit about the fact that, that one of the reasons why many of the children are, will take these drugs is because they're being prescribed by a doctor. So it's, in their mind, you know, it's not as if it's coming from somebody on the street. You know, this is actually coming from a doctor. So, so that gives them sort of a false sense of, of security and is there also a false sense of security from the fact that many of them are are following in the footsteps in the sense that well they've seen their parents do this for so long why wouldn't it make sense for them
3: yeah
0: for sure Alan I definitely agree with that that comment, and that's what I say you know when we see a society um, that wants a quick fix. Um, you know, you see the advertisements on TV for the prescription medications, and you know, it's it's. Are you unhappy? Here, take this. Um, so going back to things like Adderall, it's like or, or ADHD medication Ritalin. I hope the, the listeners understand that when I use the word Adderall, I'm talking about a lot of the prescription medications that are prescribed to kids and adults for for ADHD or ADD. Um, is that when I when I speak at a conference or a, at an event, and whether it's it's families and laymen or it's professionals, doctors, counselors, psychologists, um, and I'm talking about prescription medication, I always ask the audience, you know, who in here themselves or someone close to them, you know, has a diagnosis of ADHD, and everybody raises their hands. And then I ask, uh, who in here knows someone that takes a prescription medication for that diagnosis, and, and everyone raises their hands. And then you ask. You know, how many of you personally or your close loved ones uh, tried any sort of alternative methods to cope with that attention deficit disorder uh, prior to taking a narcotic medication for that diagnosis? And that's where you get a very small percentage of people that have actually tried uh, and put a little effort into um, mitigating those symptoms of attention deficit before actually put, putting a prescription medication in, into their bodies that they may not know much about. Um, And so that's where we teach at Newport Academy uh, to our kids and to the community uh, about kind of alternative ways to cope with attention deficit disorder, which include diet. Um, You know, you see a lot of teenagers these days that are on a high-fat, high-fructose corn sort of diet that really affects your brain capacity and ability to function um, and so we talk about eating whole foods and eating a balanced diet, and making sure you get enough green leafy vegetables and and things like that, and good fats versus bad fats and things like that. Um, and we have a whole nutrition program within the Newport Academy residential program. Um, and then exercise, you know, are you getting enough exercise throughout your day? Are you getting that heart rate up 20 to 30 minutes every day um, in order to increase blood flow to, blame, to the brain and all the other organs? Um, And then uh, supplements such as fish oil, you know, which can greatly uh, increase your brain capacity and ability to focus. And and a combination of all these and a couple other things, uh, a lot of the data shows that they can help mitigate the symptoms of ADHD without having to take a prescription drug. And what's really interesting, though, is that we're seeing the New York Times, couple weeks ago had a great expose on the overprescription of the ADHD medications, and uh, it highlighted a family uh, who has four kids, ages 9, 11, 11, and 12, um, and all four kids, you know, the article talked about how all four kids are taking some sort of prescription medication that, uh, an upper, if you will, you know, two kids are on Adderall, two kids are on Risperdal, um, and then all four kids are on quanidine, which is, mm-hmm. can be used as a sleep aid um, that they take at night. And we're talking about nine-year-olds here that are taking a prescription narcotic, you know, a, a Schedule II substance uh, that the DEA classifies mm-hmm. as a Schedule II substance because of the particularly addictive nature of these drugs. You have nine-year-olds taking these drugs and then taking quanidine. Uh, down or a sleep aid to go to sleep and, and the effect that that has on the brain. I mean, we really don't know exactly the long-term effects on the brain, but, but we, we're starting to learn that they're, they're, they're adverse. Um, it's not good in order for a, a, a developing adolescent or preteen brain to be taking a, a strong prescription medication and not allowing that brain to develop on its own.
2: Absolutely, and, and I keep thinking of all the behavioral interventions that could be taking place to even help them sleep at night, let alone deal with ADD symptoms in the classroom or some of the other symptomology that might be presenting itself within the home.
0: Right, exactly, exactly, and that goes down to education. Right. You know, it, it, the doctor that they, taught, one of the doctors they talked to in this article has a pretty profound statement uh, when it comes to the system, you know, he says, I uh, quote here he says, I don't have a whole lot of choice. We've decided as a society that it's too expensive to modify the modify the kid's environment, so we have to modify the kid.
1: This is coming from the doctor? Is this the same this doctor? This is
0: coming from Yeah, this is Doctor Anderson, a pediatrician, uh, outside of Atlanta. And so this is this is a doctor that's prescribing these drugs to these kids. And um You know, another doctor says that we have a society that has become unwilling to invest in very effective non-pharmaceutical interventions for for these interventions for these children and their families. Um, So we're effectively forcing local community psychiatrists to use the only tool at their disposal, which is psychotropic medications, Mm -hmm. right? And that just scares me as someone who cares for kids Mm -hmm. um, and, and, and is very concerned about the future of our society when it comes to... The place that drugs have in our society for, for teenagers and for the next generation, um, that that's the, rea- the harsh reality of what we're dealing with
3: here. Mm-hmm.
1: Right. And well, And what scares me is the fact that this doctor isn't even looking at the fact that the odds are that the reason that they need to take the drug at night is because of the drug that they're giving to them earlier.
0: Most
2: likely, exactly, yeah. exactly. So, uh, you know, a lot about Newport Academy, I know, is about educating. And I know you go got the community and you do a lot of community talks as well. But, you know, you really involve the family in educating them on substances and interventions they could do at home and what to expect and not expect from their children. And, you know, can you talk a little bit more about, how vital these interventions are, and educating the parents as well as the adolescents.
0: Yes, for sure, for sure. So there's a there's a great doctor named Dr. Gabor Mate. who's out of Vancouver. Uh, he's a Canadian physician, uh, an addiction medicine doctor. He's he's published a few books, um, and and he he talks about the role of the environment within you know the substance abusing addict alcoholic individual. Um, and you know, there's the old long, long-standing debate between genetics versus environment, right? And which which came first, the chicken or the egg? Well, mm-hmm. the, the thing is, is that he highlights and, and goes back to it, is that genes can exist, but unless they are triggered by an environment, you know, they can be dormant for a long time. So, you know, I use that simple example to to show that environment uh, is the number one kind of cause or issue that we look at in regards to a substance abusing teenager, right? They are a product of their environment. And when you have a 15-year-old, a typically that that primary environment is the family system, right? So they are just a piece of the family system. Um, so working with families is, actually, is, is paramount, is imperative. Um, in the healing process of of doing of working with teenagers um, because they are so much part of the family
3: mm-hmm.
0: at newport at Newport academy, we involve families in the course of treatment anywhere from eight to sixteen hours every single week um, so so kids or kids and families are actually going to be working together. Um, Eight to 16 hours each week within the treatment setting, um, and part of that is education um, and educating the family um, on what a on what a family system is and, and what that looks like, um, and that each family member has a particular role that they're contributing to this family system, to this environment, um, and and what they're putting in and what they're taking out, um, and educating them that their their child has develop, typically develop a substance abuse issue as a coping mechanism. Um, so Newport Academy is very focused on what is the cause um, of a child reaching outside of themselves um, to fill themselves up or to numb themselves. And so we really look at what those underlying issues are um, in a child. And, and typically, you know, typically those involve some level of trauma.
3: Mm-hmm.
0: Um, and when we're looking at trauma in, in teenagers, we're looking at at, at, at Both ends of the spectrum and everything in between. So we may have, um, you know, family unrest, or we may have divorce in the family, or we may have. Uh, a father left or a mother left, and there's abandonment issues there for that child, and so they have validation and abandonment issues um, that need to be addressed, and and so they find validation and they find acceptance within the friends that they can smoke pot with or take pills with or drink with,
3: mm-hmm. you know, or they may
0: find validation in cutting themselves, you know, self-harm, um, or in an eating disorder, something that they can control, um, whether that's binging or purging. Um, Oh, and then, on the other end of the spectrum, we may have um overt sexual trauma we may have molestation rape uh, sexual abuse in one way shape or form and, and and that's and then that's a that's a deep-seated pain that a child unless that's dealt with properly they're going to what we call self-medicate right because mm-hmm. they have mm-hmm. this deep pain and they don't know how to deal with that properly um, and they don't have the capacity to do so and so uh, a kid may start drinking because of this pain um, and and quite frankly we tell parents all the time look the thing is, is that drugs and alcohol—they work. <laughs> they, they 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 fulfill their purpose. Um, at least in the beginning, they work. They fulfill their purpose in, in numbing a pain and taking a child out out of reality. Um, and most of the time, because reality is so painful, um, they they create a peer group, so they pr- create validation and a support group within that. It may not be—it's not a positive. Not a positive peer support group, but it is a support mm-hmm. group nonetheless. So they may lack that prior to stepping right. into this situation, right? And mm-hmm. so uh, that's what we tell parents: is look, parents, these kids—they are using these substances because they work, um, and they are self-destructive, and they don't work very for very long, and then they become self-perpetuating because they put themselves in situations um, that only cause further traumas, and so they need to use further. And so what we do at Newport Academy is we in our residential facilities that we're able to bring kids out of that environment completely and put them in a safe, sober, secure environment where we can now figure out what those underlying issues are and then work to address those issues within the family system.
1: Mm-hmm. Right. Uh, and you mentioned a little bit in regards to the interventions and, and how they work. Now we receive emails and, and messages from time to time from our listeners saying that they've watched the television show Intervention. And and I'd like you to share a little bit about the differences between an adult intervention that they might see on television and, uh, and an adolescent intervention that you would do at Newport Academy.
0: Okay, Alan, yeah, for sure. And um, an adult intervention and an adolescent intervention can be very different um, in, in regards to an intervention being the precursor um, to getting someone into treatment, right? That event is created in order to let a loved one know that they are going into treatment. Um, you know, with, with adults, adults typically have to make their own decision in order to go into treatment. And so the intervention you see on TV is a family sitting around and basically making a case um, for why their loved one should go into treatment. Whereas with adolescents, um, in most states, including the state of California, when you have a minor Um, a minor really doesn't, isn't able to make that decision on their own. So parents are making that decision for them. And kids, typically teenagers, they don't have that, that rational part of the brain where if you make a rational case for them to go to treatment, they don't want to go to treatment. Mm -hmm. Nine times out of 10, they're not going to want to go into treatment. They're not, they're not going to want to leave their
3: friends, Mm
0: -hmm. um, and they're not going to want to stop using. Leaving their friends is the most important part. They they don't know what they're going to do with that. So um, in California, a, a child doesn't have to make their own decision. So a parent um, can make that decision for them and basically say, what, you're going to treatment uh, regardless. Um, and that's where we have, um, it, it's a it's less than a, an, of an intervention a lot of times and more of a, a statement and then a transport into treatment.
2: Mm-hmm. Which is what Allen's company does, is transport teens <laughs> to their Right, family. exactly. Yeah, And, and
0: we've used Allen's company in the past, for sure, to, to help us get some kids into treatment, and they're very good at doing
3: that. Yeah. Thank you.
2: Now, and, you know, regarding that, too, I want to talk more about that, but we do need to take a quick commercial break. So if you stay with us, today we're talking to Jameson Monroe. he's the founder and CEO of the Newport Academy in Orange County, California, and we'll be back talking with him more about his program and interventions, etc. in just a few minutes here on Answers for the Family.
1: Founded over 25 years ago to meet the needs of families in crisis, WestShield specializes in resolving adolescent issues that negatively impact the family. From preteen to young adult, we are experienced and qualified to help. We offer solutions which include referrals to a network of top professionals internationally that we work very closely with in the fields of educational consulting, psychology, and psychiatry. Our in-home crisis intervention care program helps to stabilize families and bring effective resolution. We are supported by our licensed investigation company that enables us to offer legal and expert services for locating runaway teens and more. Our therapeutic transportation services help to ensure that adolescents in crisis are safely provided transportation to specialized schools and programs with unmatched experience and success. Simply put, West Shield Adolescent Services is the best solution when your family is facing personal crisis. Call 1-800-899-8585 and let us help you.
2: And we're back for more Answers for the Family. I'm your co-host, Dr. Melody Fox, along with Alan Cardoza, and we are talking today to Jamison Monroe. He is the founder and CEO of the Newport Academy in Orange County, California. And thank you for hanging in there, Jamison, to continue talking about your wonderful program and also interventions with teenagers who are on that drug path, so to speak, and not making... Good plans for themselves. And right before we went to commercial, we were talking about the differences between adult interventions and adolescent interventions. And I was curious on how critical is it for long-term plans and the aftercare for adolescents once they get out of the rehabilitation or or going through all their interventions.
0: Uh, well, I think it's the most critical, actually. Um, that's that's the toughest part is that transition back into society, real life, whatever you want to call it, Melody, is that when kids go to residential treatment, I mean, a a lot of great work can be done, and and a lot of great work is done at Newport Academy with with healing underlying issues and teaching new coping mechanisms, but then the the most critical is that transition back into applying those new skills um, into your real life. And so, there's a number of different, and so what we do at Newport Academy is we start that planning process that immediately upon admission. Um, our kid's typically with us for two to three months um, in a residential setting, and so we're constantly looking at and evaluating what the best next step is going to be, taking into a lot of different factors. You know, one is the support system that exists um, within the family and within the community um, of where the child came from. One is obviously um, a number of families is is the cost of what the next step is going to look like. Um, You know, there's vast difference between someone living at home and and going off to a therapeutic boarding school. Uh, But it's balancing that with what the family wants and needs um, versus what it costs and and also where the kid is going to do best. Um, So to that end, we have um, our own local program, uh, Newport Academy does. We've got a, a sober high school. Um, in Orange County, just there on the border of Newport uh, Beach and Costa Mesa, 17th and Irvine, uh, we have mm-hmm. Newport Academy Day School, mm-hmm. which is a, a sober high school. It's a safe, sober, supportive environment um, in partnership with the Orange County Department of Education. hmm um, and I'm a big fan of, of sober high schools across the country. I think we have about 20, 25 or so sober high schools, um, some small, you know, six kids, and some up to 40 and 50 kids in different parts of the country. Um, Newport Academy is the only, you know, sober high school um, in in Orange County, Newport Academy Day School. And we're, we typically have about anywhere from 6 to 12, 15 kids. Um, in our school, so it's a very small school. Uh, we graduated six kids last year at the end of the year, who are all now in, in some level of college. Um, you know, our program is California, you know, state of California university certified, so our kids can go on to Cal schools, which is great. Um, and they get a they get a diploma from the Orange County Department of Education. It's not not from an alternative school or anything like that. It's just as if they were going to any other local public high school, and so. Um, it's great to be able to offer that therapeutic school environment within the local community Um, and then of course you have to build the the wraparound services around that I mean within the school setting we do have a process group every day um, and so kids have access to that but then a lot of them need more services than that so we also have an outpatient facility um, which is Monday through Thursday every evening parents participate in that uh, twice a week uh, in parent support groups and parent process groups I'm going to continue with parent and family education, continue with private family sessions and one-on-one sessions for the kids. Mm -hmm. Um, But transitioning kids back into real life, per se, is one of the most critical uh, aspects, and so you have to build a support system um, of family and professionals and peers um, around around that child in order to give them the best chance of success Uh, because there's going to be some bumps along the way, for sure. But uh, you got to have a plan on what's going to happen when you encounter those bumps and how you're going to get back on track.
2: Yeah, it just seems like it would be nice if every high school, every junior high school was uh, a sober high school. <laughs> right, sober, yeah, when you yeah. tell when
0: you tell people you have a sober high school, they're like, well, isn't high school supposed to be sober? And yeah. you're like, well, yep. actually data shows that more than half of kids actually get their drugs on campus, you know. <laughs> no. Right. Uh, you know. Schools are not sober. Schools are actually where most kids get their drugs.
2: Yeah, and that kind of goes along with one of our listener questions we have here. It says, I've been a junior high assistant principal in Pasco County, Florida for 25 years. My comment is that even though we are seeing increased drug use, alcohol is being abused much more frequently. And last year, we expelled 20 13 and 14-year-olds who are selling and or sharing alcohol on campus. The kids act as if they could care less what we, the authorities, or their parents have to say. None of the interventions or punishments we have in place are making one bit of, bit, one bit of difference. Would love your observations and suggestions.
0: Well, its interesting. So kids are—they're are, not selling drugs. Well, they're selling drugs. They're selling alcohol. That's—that's that's, uh, we've seen that before, but not as common. Um, alcohol is a drug, ethanol. But. Um, so that's an observation. Um another observation is that kids she mentioned you know, the kids don't really care about the consequences um from from the administration or from the parents. And and that's as you guys know, goes back to an adolescent brain and mm-hmm. adolescent brain development. Um and and goes back into what Allen's company does is help make those decisions and help kids get into treatment because they're not going to make that decision on their own. And kids don't have, they don't, their prefrontal cortex part of their brain, their rational part of the brain, the long-term thinking, the delaying gratification part of their brain hasn't developed yet. And so they typically can't make those positive decisions on their own just because they don't have the capacity to do so. And so, therefore, they don't weigh constantly. The same way you and I, or a lot of our parents listening now, they don't weigh consequences in the same manner um, as we do. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, suggestions obviously would be that it's uh, the only thing you can do is set up consequences, expectations, and consequences. Um, and I don't know what kind of alternative education methods that they have there um, in their local community as far as outpatient um, treatment goes as being able to, um, monitor sobriety of children and things like that. And that's where you get into with public school systems, do you drug test kids or not drug test kids? Um, and even in the private school system too. And we find even locally here in Orange County that we'll have a couple kids in treatment from a local high school and we'll, we'll call up the high school and we'll say, Hey, we, we, we know that you guys have somewhat of a, a problem within your school. Every school does, you know, we'd love to do some education for your parents and, they're pretty adamant they don't have a drug problem, you know, and so the level of denial runs pretty deep, uh, so they don't want that kind of, that press, um, they don't want to be looked at as a drug school. Um, it's very interesting when dealing with the administration of junior highs and high schools.
2: Yeah, and now,
0: then... I will tell you, what, go ahead. Oh, no, no.
2: Yeah. Go, go ahead, tell us what.
0: I was saying now, now, unfortunately, what happens is that then, uh, especially with the prescription pills and, and what we cause talked about earlier, the number one cause of death among teenagers is these prescription pill overdoses. We're seeing locally here, and I'm seeing across the country as well, is that um, kids are dying uh, at a pretty alarming rate. Um, And so we'll see that here in Orange County, um, is that a local high school will have a child die, and then they will jump to bring in all these services, and it's a very reactionary model as opposed to a proactive model and mm-hmm. so i would love to see high schools you know take notice and, and move to a more proactive uh, prevention model um, education testing accountability things like that um you know and that you mentioned the, the documentary that i was a part of making uh, behind the orange curtain mm-hmm. which which highlights that issue um and it's it's kind of an in-your-face style documentary, um, which highlights a handful of families in Orange County that have lost their children um, to prescription drug overdoses, um, a couple of children that are now brain damaged or paralyzed due to seizures sustained uh, and comas sustained from prescription drug overdoses. Um, it's very alarming, and, and we're being very well-received. Uh, by the local community, and the fact that people are waking up and saying, Well, yes, you know, my friend or my neighbor or my child has had a problem, and uh, or my friend's child has, has died, or they're um, in a bad car accident, or whatnot, as a result of this. And we need to get this out there more and more. Now, the documentary is great in that it wakes people up, but now we need more action by the community, uh, and more education, and more accountability within the entire community, and that includes. Treatment providers like us, and that includes you know, private practitioners like you, Melody, um, you know, family service providers like Allen, uh, and the school system to get on board and to allow the professionals to come in and educate their families on what to look for, what to do, um, and, and how to help prevent this stuff from continuing to happen.
2: Yeah, what I always find is the denial is so high, and in almost every child I work with, it doesn't matter what what area of Orange County they're in, or Los Angeles County, there is an epidemic of drug and alcohol use, and expectation that they use as well. And you know, the documentary is very powerful, behind the orange curtain, and I know it, it's been received really well in Southern California. Where are some other areas, if somebody wanted to see the documentary, that they might be able to have a screening of it? Or do you take it to schools, or other foundations, or clinics?
0: we do, we we have been we've been taking it to schools foundations treatment facilities community organizations um we can if anyone wants to host a screening, we will host a screening um you know last week in Huntington Beach we did three screenings in one day I think we had close to a thousand people at each screening um you know and that was through the the school system um we've done it through churches and things like that so um, we've hosted, we've done screenings all across the country uh, in Texas, out uh, in Connecticut, um, in New York, um, just all across the country. And so we'd be willing to, if anyone wants to see this documentary, they can just contact me uh, directly, and I'd be happy to facilitate that.
2: Okay. And if somebody wanted to contact you, how would they do that?
0: Uh, they could send me an email. Uh, my email is jmonroe. J M O N R O E first initial last name, J-M-O-N-R-O-E, at newportacademy.com, and that's just newportacademy.com.
1: And, Jamison, I know it was also in the uh, Newport Beach Film Festival. Are there any other showings like that uh, that are either at a festival or at some public venue?
0: Um, yeah, there will continue to be more showings like this. Um, one best way to do that is to go to the website behindtheorangecurtain.net, net behind the orange curtain dot net and listings will continue to be uh, put on that website and then there will also be on that website subscribe to the mailing list and that way you can get updates via the mailing list on when new showings are announced.
2: Yeah, and I I was just curious on, you, you mentioned earlier that in California that parents can make the decision for their teens to go to treatment whether or not the teen wants them they go, they go. They want them to go, they go. What about other states? Do they have that same? Uh,
0: I, I, I can't speak to each individual state. I do know that for different states, kind of the age of consent when it comes to medical services varies. Um, you know, I think in like states like New York, it's 16. And so if you're over 16, you're not subject to your parents' decisions for you medically. And, you know, don't quote me on that, but in dealing with kids, from in different states, we've had to we've had to come across that. So uh, I can't speak to specific states, but at Newport Academy, you know, we treat kids from all over the country, or all over the world, mm-hmm. for that matter. Um, you know, right now in treatment, we have a kid from Scotland. We've got a kid coming from Portugal. We have a kid from uh, Canada, and uh, you know, we have a kid from New York. Um, a kid from Connecticut is coming in this weekend, mm-hmm. and and that's really because no one does what we do in regards to how we treat teenagers um, anywhere. In regards to the amount of time um, and the level of care that we provide to kids and their families. Um, you know we we have two separate facilities, one for girls and one for boys. Um, and we can talk about you know the importance of gender specific treatment, but uh, to, to the listeners, but you 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 and I know the importance of having that gender specific mm-hmm. environment for teenagers um, to be able to share open and honestly. Uh, without the fear of judgment of the opposite sex. Um, And then also during the downtime of treatment, you know, there is the uh, kids are looking for anything outside of themselves to make themselves feel better in this vulnerable environment. So hooking up with the opposite sex um, is definitely uh, a viable option uh, when that's presented. And so we remove that factor completely within the environment. Uh, We only have a maximum of six kids at each time in each treatment program, so six males and six females. Uh, And we've got over 40 staff uh, to provide treatment to those 12 teenagers. Um, And our staff is is highly qualified, highly licensed. Um, You know, Melody, you've met a number of our staff members. Our medical director is Dr. David Smith, who founded the Haight-Ashburg free clinic in 1967, uh, and has been working with adolescents and young adults, you know, for the better part of 50 years of his life. Um, and then our clinical director, Dr. Barbara Nozow, mm-hmm. um, has been in practice over 25 years and she's got a, a Ph.D. and two master's degrees um, and a lot of experience in working with young people. And, and then our staff has filled out with more doctors and marriage and family therapists and chemical dependency counselors
3: and mm-hmm.
0: Melody, you participated in our equine therapy program. right? Um, and so, at Equine Assisted Psychotherapy, we do yoga and mixed martial arts and art therapy and music therapy and a lot of what we call experiential therapies, because mm-hmm. uh, teenagers don't really thrive in a typical sit down and talk therapy environment. So we get them into experience, uh, and, and they can and it breaks, brings down that guard that they may have up, um, and, and allows them to be more open and honest with their
3: with their therapists.
2: Oh, absolutely. And how important is is it for the family? Because I heard that the family must participate in with your kids or you won't take the kids.
0: That's exactly right. Because as we mentioned earlier, that a a kid is only a product of their environment. And so if a kid shows up on our doorstep and, and they are abusing substances, you know, they're doing so for a reason. Um, and that reason typically came from their environment, and or is only being perpetuated by their environment. And so, um, and a kid typically, because they're 15, you know, unless they go away forever to boarding school, uh, they're still they're still very much part of that family system. Um, and so we come from what is called an area of practice called a family systems model, um, and then everyone contributes to the the environment um, of the family, and so. From the beginning, um, we involve families, and that means that um, on the first Friday after admission, we bring families in, just the parents, actually, for what we call our parent intensive day. And this is uh, a six- to eight-hour day with just the parents and our many staff members. they will meet with five or six different staff members on this day, all staff members that are going to be working directly with their child, and we will share our initial assessments and treatment plan and get families input, buy-in, feedback, Um, and and then we'll go over, we'll look at what's called a geneogram, which is a a family tree that goes back three generations, and look at all the factors that have led us to where we are today, Um, but can also look at today as a big catalyst, a turning point for where we can change the direction of this family um, into a more positive direction. Um, And then we'll also educate the family about all the data around the fact that um family participation in teenage treatment uh, has a direct impact on long-term success. Uh, you know, the data shows that the more a family participates in in treatment, the more successful on a long-term basis their child is going to be.
3: Mm-hmm. Absolutely.
1: Yeah, now you, uh, earlier when you were mentioning in regards to some of the, uh, the different ages and the different states, uh, and it which also it, it's it's different in different countries as well. I just want to let everybody know out there if you go to our website answers the numeral for the dot com and you send a message in to me, we will be able to get an answer out to them in regards to what the age of majority is for each state because it's something that we have to look up constantly when we're bringing people to programs uh, like Newport academy uh, and I can tell you that I mean most of the states are going to be eighteen. Uh, there are some that are 17, some that are 16, and then there's Nebraska, which is actually 19.
2: Also, <laughs> oh, you could take an 18-year-old in Nebraska. That's yes. great. Yes,
1: yeah. Um, but now we have another question that's coming in, uh, another listener question, and this one reads, uh, My husband is a recovering alcoholic, five years sober this coming January. Um, our 18-year-old daughter, who always said she would never drink uh, after what we experienced with her father, has been both drinking and smoking marijuana in excess in recent months. She says that she can handle both and refuses to stop. She further says that we can do nothing because uh, of her age. Um, what do you suggest we do? We certainly don't want to stand back and see something happen uh, You know, if we could have helped prevent it. Uh, this is from a very worried mother.
0: So it's interesting um, how kids kids play the age part all the time I'm 18 you can't do anything about it um, but you know there's also there's every case is different right and obviously this parent has said we don't want our child participating in those behaviors so they are they are using in excess and so we want this child to stop. Uh, one thing that parents typically still have um, when their kids turn 18 is they typically still have, the purse strings, and so they have control of of money, right? Um, Obviously not all the time the case. Some kids are 18 or out on their own, and parents really can't do anything about it. Um, But in most cases we see here in America, um, parents are still helping their kids out in one way, shape, or form when their child is still just 18. So so what we tell parents is that if you really don't want your child to be using drugs or alcohol, then, uh, you know, draw a line in the sand, you know set up some boundaries and, and hold those boundaries, set up some expectations and that, you know, if you if you commit to sobriety and you don't use and, and we drug test you and, and we, you know, maybe sign up for some sort of monitoring program so that we know that you're sober, then we'll continue to help you with school or whatnot. Um, but if you're not going to use, then I'm sorry we can't continue to support you financially in a lifestyle that we don't agree with. Mm-hmm. Um, and that may be very hard for parents, and so that's um, you know parents can we, we do assessments all the time and help parents with coaching and, 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 and people can contact Alan and his organization as well because um, they do some great work in, in a similar manner. Um, and helping coaching parents on drawing those boundaries and then holding those kids accountable.
1: Mm-hmm. You're absolutely right. And and unfortunately, we are out of time, but uh, we have been talking with Jamison Monroe of Newport Academy. If you would like to learn more about Newport Academy, go to www.newportacademy.com. Jameson, thank you so much for coming on. We really appreciate it and uh, look forward to the next time that we can be out there ourselves.
0: Alan, Melody, thank you so much for having me on.
2: Well, it was a pleasure. Thank you so much for joining us on Answers for the Family.
1: And we look forward to all of you listening in again next week. Take care and have a wonderful week.
0: You're listening to the home of cool, irreverent, and entertaining talk, right here on L.A. Talk Radio.